You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, titled Transformation, Part 2, from the series Transformation. For more info, visit creekside.org. Historian David McCulloch's book, The Great Bridge, tells the story of building the Brooklyn Bridge that arches the, the East Bay and joins Manhattan to Brooklyn. In uh, June of 1872, the chief engineer of the project wrote these words. He said, To such of the general public as might imagine that no work had been done on the New York Tower because they see no evidence of it above the water, I would simply remark that the amount of the masonry and concrete laid on that foundation during the past winter, winter underwater is equal in quantity to the entire masonry of the Brooklyn Tower visible today above the waterline. The Brooklyn Bridge remains a major transportation artery uh, in New York City today because 144 years ago, the chief engineer and his construction team did their most patient and daring and literally important work where no one could see it, on the foundation of the uh, towers below the waterline. I read about this, and it's just a wonderful illustration of an ageless and powerful principle. It's the work that's done below the waterline. It's the work that's done inside of a person in the deep crevices of their heart and their soul that determines whether or not they will stand the test of time and challenge. Like the bridge that still stands today, it has to do with our personal worship, our personal devotion, our spiritual disciplines that are done in the quiet. Not where everybody sees it. Uh, but where you are encountering the living God. If we only focus on the exterior learning and we only focus on exterior behaviors, what's above the waterline that everybody sees? You know what we really do? We set ourselves up for some potential personal or spiritual nosedives in the coming years. If you ever learn... Or if there's anything that we need to learn, friends, and it's this, is that we want to be building below the waterline. You can't really build consistently above the waterline without a substantial uh, foundation below it. We all understand that premise. If you study the life of Moses, and I could give you a number of these, but remember Moses was, is a great example of a man who spent 80 years in obscurity so that God could raise him up for his last 40 years to lead his people. And I think this is the question, and, and, and sometimes, a lot of times over the years, people have um, uh, kind of, well, we always talk about this inward stuff. Uh, but the reason I do that is because so many churches and church people, they focus on the exterior their behaviors and what they do instead of what God's doing inside of them. Because ultimately what happens inside of us, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this. Or excuse me, Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks about this. It isn't the things that come out of us that mess us up. It's the things that come out of our, excuse me, it's not the things that go into us. It's the things that come out of our heart. The behaviors and the attitudes and the activities and the actions that we do aren't simply behaviors. They're expressions of our heart. And so I, always, I talk about what's going on below the surface. And it's important to periodically, friends, ask ourselves what's below the surface of our heart, and of our lives, and what's going on in our heart. Ah, those things that nobody else can generally see but ultimately will. 
Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What's going on in your heart? Is there any bitterness that's threatening to poison relationships? Are there any wounds that are festering and that are unattended and, and really unhealed? Are there hidden sins that are nursed and un, unobserved by everybody but the living God? What's, what's growing? What's going on in your life below the surface? Because this is also the space that as we move into the 40 days that we want to make sure that we're developing because it's also this space where we quiet ourselves before our creator God. It's where we, in the depths of our soul, we begin to plead for mercy. It's where we confess our sins. It's where we acknowledge, I am not right in this area. I shared with our staff, and I'll probably share it with this with you in the next number of weeks. But there's a song that's just that, that is is kind of just it's kind of my anthem. It just talks about God. I, I I'm I'm wanting to know you more. I I'm begging for your mercy because of all my sin and my shame and my pride. It's just this season that I'm in that I'm acknowledging and seeing just some of these things that that can be hidden by the platform. And, and I want to challenge us because our hearts, loved ones, become the soil and the foundation where the grace of Christ grows. And it's there where you will develop healthy, a healthy root system that will plunge deep and it will nurture your life above the ground. Few of us drive past a home or we drive past a bridge and admire the foundation. You know, we say, oh, that's beautiful. But we also understand this, that the foundation supports the rest of the structure. And an enduring public life is supported by a vigilant private life. When you see somebody fall publicly, when you see a mass, I mean, just a mass mess of a human failure, it's never because it just happened. It's because the foundation of their life was being chipped away at or they were com making compromises or they were going along. Nobody, no Christ follower, no public person, you will never just fall suddenly. It's because of what's going on in your heart over time. And, and that's part of this process. It isn't just about not failing, but it's about growing in Jesus Christ. But there's nothing worse than, than I think than, you know, than seeing people who fail and, and fail miserably. And then they have to do with the outfall, outflow of that. That's part of my job. I, there's probably a month that goes by that I don't deal with some Creeksider that has to deal with some kind of significant issue because of this very thing that I'm talking about. And so we're talking about these eight stages, I told you, that that I want us to look at for development and transformation as we go into the 40 days because all eight of these become critical to the process of your life. And if you don't engage in all eight of them, it's probably going to be difficult to really be a transformed, changed person to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you're memorizing that scripture, 2 Peter 3.18, because that's really our, our, our theme for this whole year. I want to look at Abraham just for a couple of quick minutes as we get before we get into the four, uh, the, the second four processes of transformation. If you pick it up in chapter 11, the first part, uh, actually about the 90% of the chapter has to do with genealogy. 
uh, starts with the Tower of, of, of Babel, and then it goes into the genealogy leading up to Abraham. Now it says this, it says in, in verse 31, Terah took his son, Abram, where it says Abram, he ultimately, uh, in Genesis, in just a few chapters, God changes his name to Abraham after he calls him. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, who was Haran's, Haran's son. Remember, Lot became kind of a thorn in the flesh for Abraham. He took his daughter-in-law and Sarai, and we know if, you, uh, under, if you've read Genesis and studied the Scriptures, she becomes Sarah. It's always significant when God changes a person's name because um, names were very important, very prophetic in the Scriptures. So she, she'll become Sarah in just a couple of chapters his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. It's where God says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to build this whole new nation. And out of the outflow of that, not only comes the nation of Israel, but it comes uh, the, the, the church. Now, here's a big but. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. I won't take the time to read it, but if you read Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, you'll see that during this time, God had called Abraham and said, I'm, I'm going to make you, a, I'm gonna make you the, 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 the father of many nations. I, that's my promise to you. So God is in the process here, has called him to Canaan, and he knows that. But notice what they do. Canaan was probably about eight or 900 miles away from Ur. But they get to Haran, which is about halfway, and they stop. Get about halfway, and they stop. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Abram is living in this Mesopotamian region. God speaks it to him. This is what he says. I want you to leave your father, your mother, excuse me, your father, your family, and your country. And I want you to leave the land of Ur. Now, you've got to understand, Ur would have been a great place. It would have kind of like been like Malibu Beach on a really beautiful river. It was, I mean, it was an upscale area. They believe it was the first place that bathtubs were used. Uh, it was the hot spot of the day. Um, it would have been tough to leave. So we've got, to give, we've got to give credit here to Abraham. He says, I'll leave, man. I've got all this beautiful area, and I'm going to leave. It's a, it was a shipping area. It was a fertile land. Uh, it was just well off. But God says, I want to take you out of here, and I want to take you to Canaan, which was about nine, eight or 900 miles away. Well, they're going along. Notice that he takes all of his family. They go along, and they end up in Haran. Now, they were supposed to pass through Haran, which is about halfway. They probably ended up staying there, we believe, 15 to 25 years. And it's there that his father dies. There's a couple of things I want you to see about this. Is There's probably a couple of key areas that will keep us from always moving forward. First of all, it's relationships in our lives. God says, I want you to go. He, he makes a good start. But then they end up in Haran and they settle. You can almost kind of read into this, kind of this, almost this, this plaint of resignation. They came to Haran. They settled there. Terah lived 205 years. He died in Haran. Halfway. And what I want you to see sometimes, loved ones, it's the, it's the relationships in our lives that hold so many people back from getting to where God calls them to do. 
It's also interesting because this is probably the greatest relational wound that Abraham is going to experience. And I believe that probably it's possible, I can't say this for sure, but it's, probable, it's possible that you know what, by the time they spent 15 to 25 years there, that even Abraham and Sarah are ready to just settle in because this was a nice area as well. And so they're, they're, they're settled there and God has to come back and reiterate his call. And some of us, it's possible that you're stuck halfway or you're stuck in this journey that God has called you to, well, because of some relationships or some relational wounds that have hurt you. And God says, my call will not be mitigated by some kind of wound or some kind of relational breach. And he's calling you out today. He says, I want you to go all the way. I don't want you to stop halfway. I don't want you to get stuck. I don't want you to die inherent because I'm taking you someplace else. And there's another point that I think is, is important to see is that, well, it's possible that not only can relationships hinder us, but we can get comfortable in life's stations, can't we? This is a nice area. This is like fun in the sun. These people, they've traveled probably 450 miles, 500 miles, this family, and guess what? They found a new nice little place called Aaron. And we've come pretty far, haven't we? That's pretty good. I mean, look what we left. I know, new ground, but well, you know, it's just comfortable here. I like it. And pretty soon we can move into a comfort zone and simply go, ho-hum, ho-hum. I know God said that, but you know what? I like this here. And it's like I said last, last week, this is, not a, this is not a condemnation by any... This is human nature. It is human nature to get comfortable and stay comfortable. It is human nature to get to a place and go, I kind of like it here. Why would I want to travel 450 more miles to go to some place where I'm going to go and not know what's going on? It's exactly what it says in Hebrews. It says Abraham ended up going and not knowing. And there's always this call, loved ones, that God says, I want to move you forward. There's an old saying that says, God comes to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. And sometimes the church needs that. That he wants to challenge us as to become everything that we can in the person of Jesus Christ. See, people get messed up with God's will and they miss it. Often like Abraham, because they've either delayed doing something or going somewhere simply because they kind of got it in their mind that I've come far enough. I'm doing enough. Don't bug me, God. I like where I am. People come to me sometimes, and this will be in another part, but people come to me and go, you know, I don't really sense God speaking to me. And sometimes I ask him for, well, I always ask him pointedly, uh, are you doing everything he's called you to do? Well, you know, uh, there's a couple of areas. And I go, well, why would you expect him to say more when you're not even doing what he's already asking you to do? We don't have any record of, of Abraham hearing from God in Haran for 15 to 25 years until he wants to move him out of there and finally reiterates his call in chapter 12. That's why I encourage people to journal, because when you're writing, when, when you're reading, if it's just a sentence or two, you can write down, oh man, God spoke this to me today. I need to work on this area. I need to change that. I need to do this. I need to do that. And then you have a record of it. And then you go back and go, man, I'm kind of, a, I'm not sure God hasn't been speaking. Oh, yes. 
On January 3rd, 2017, he said to do this. I haven't even done that yet. Or you learn something from the scriptures, and he says, I want to deal with this attitude, and you're not dealing with it. I want you to deal with this relational issue, and you don't deal with it. Why would we expect God to speak to us again? He's just waiting for us to do the directive that he's already given us. Called us to move on. This is what I love about God, though. He waits patiently for us, doesn't he? Aren't we all learning this in our walk together, in our faith walk, that we're kind of like little kids. We walk and we stumble and we fall, but his mercies are new every morning. Or in Abraham's case, every 15 to 25 years, they will show themselves as well. That's what I love about God. He's just, he's very patient. And and I want to give a word for some of you today, and it's this. You need to keep going, keep growing. Some of you may have had a relational breach that's holding you back, a relational issue that has affected your life, a loss, a broken relationship, whatever it is, keep going. Don't get stuck halfway for what God's called you to go. Don't get comfortable. Move forward. Challenge yourself. Some of us are in a halfway place, and some of us need to go further. And I know there's probably some couple of students here, and this is not an indictment on your parents at all. This is a challenge to you. Make sure you go further than your parents or your family members or the people around you. Do not allow any relationship to keep you at the place that you are. Too many people do that. Go beyond. Go where God's called you, and don't look at your parents Or don't look at your family and say, I can only go this far because that's how far they went. That is a word for some people today at Creekside. Because that's what we oftentimes do. We get sucked in to these relationships that hold us back. Here, You know what the most dangerous word in the English language language is? Someday. Someday I'll do, someday. And God's saying today, today's the day. I want to see you move forward. I want to see you grow. And this is part of the process, loved ones, why we're doing this 40 days, because I want to make sure that we're growing and we're not comfortable, because our church is very comfortable in a lot of ways. So that's the challenge. Don't go halfway. Keep going. That's why we talk about these eight principles. And if you weren't here last week, you can listen to it online or buy the CD, but they all go together. They build. First thing, again, I want you to see today is that spiritual growth is always relational. It's always relational. Many religions teach you to isolate, you know, be like a monk. But Jesus said, be in the marketplace, be involved in the commerce of life and relationships. You see throughout the the New Testament, these two words coupled together, one another, one another, one another. It It is one of the key phrases throughout the New Testament. What did Jesus do? He called 12, but he ministered to the multitudes, and then he ministered to 120, and then he ministered to 70, and then he called his 12 disciples. And even out of those 12 disciples, he had three that he was closest to, Peter, James, and John. And then it seems that John was the one he was closest to. So he had all these layers of relationships. He was like this big Lego that was, had a, you know, the multitudes were connected, the, the 120 were connected to him. Everything done... In Christianity, loved ones, flows out of relationship. You can get knowledge without the church, but you cannot get depth of relationship 
without it. For true growth and for true transformation and change, we need community with others. This is the one of the most misunderstood and most resisted facts of growth among American Christ followers. You know why? Because we grow up on John Wayne. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We grow up on Clint Eastwood. Be a man. Do it on your own. You know, no one, I don't need anybody. I just need me and my magnum, you know, and, and we'll take care of life. I don't need anybody else. That is so untrue and wrong thinking. You cannot grow in healthy balance and truth without the church. The writer to the Hebrews put it this way in verses, uh, chapter 10, 24 and 25. He said, let us think of ways. I love this, to motivate. Uh, some translations say spur. I think it uh, to spur on to one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another because the Lord is coming. See, everything has to do with moving forward, where we're going, not just where we are. We're always stronger together than we are alone. That's one of the reasons why you see people. It's always amazing to me where the church now is large enough, it's hard for me uh, to keep track of the people that kind of come in and they fall through the cracks and slide out. That's another reason why small group connection becomes so important. So when somebody begins to drift, we can help keep them tethered. We can help with this accountability peace. See, the purpose of our small groups are to do that. We want to be a growing church that is growing stronger by growing smaller, and that becomes the heart of who we are. It's where the body of Christ, like the physical body, has many cells, but when you get involved in one of the cells, it'll make you stronger. It's, see, it's the, the, there's, there's this, like I say, this Americano independence that is good. There's two things you don't want to be. You don't want to be at the extreme of independence, and you don't want to be at the stream of dependence. But there is something very powerful about interdependence, where you're connected, where you are in relationship with people. But too many people move from just simply being a homo sapien, and they become a, a solo sapien where they don't have any close friends. They don't have anybody that looks into their, sits across the table from them and challenges them and speaks into their life. I don't want to hear that. It was just recently someone did that to me. I didn't really like it. Matter of fact, I didn't like it at all. But they were right. What they said way they said it maybe wasn't the best way. But I've, as a pastor, you get people that can say things in a lot of ways. That's all right. But what they said was totally right. And because at a point of brokenness, I just said, oh, God, you're, you're using that little stinker to speak to me. And it, and, it, and it helped begin a domino effect of looking below my waterline to see some of the things that the Lord says, I, I need to touch that. Otherwise, it's going to begin to affect every area of your life. We need that, loved one. We don't like it, but there's not a person in this room that doesn't need that. And that's why you've got to have people around you that you can trust. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs says. That there are messengers, Proverbs says, that come and they speak hard words, but they become like like gold apples set on a plate getting delivered to you. But most of us don't avail ourselves to that. 
thinking about the essence of what the church is to be today again as we kind of move into a new season, I often have to come back to refocusing what are the core, what is the core and the essential nature of the church, not just Creekside, but the church, because it's so easy to make it simply a weekly event, and it happens every week. It's so easy to make it a, a point of vision. Where's God taking us? It's so easy to make it a business, because there's a lot of business that we do here. It's easy to make it a counseling center, a training center, a teaching center. All of those parts are important. But the focus at the core of every church is a relationship carried on with the person of Jesus Christ and the many people who make up the body. It is a vertical relationship with Jesus, and it is horizontal with the people around me. I've been going back and reading a book that shaped my life back in 1978, uh, a very easy read. I would encourage everyone here to get it. I'll get it for you if you want it. Love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And it taught me and reminded me of two key principles. Again, the church is primarily to be a safe place for everyone. We grow and we learn and we engage with others. And if we are growing in Jesus Christ and we're teaching the scriptures, it will automatically just kind of either bring people to Jesus or it will begin to move them away. But it's because it's a safe place and it's the scriptures that become unsafe and lethal to somebody's life in a difficult way. Or they kill us so that we can be raised again into new life in Jesus Christ. But we as people have to make this a safe place of love and acceptance and forgiveness. And when you're in the kingdom, there is never a period, only a comma, when it comes to knowing one another in Him. Things are never done. You know the worst thing you can, one of the worst things you can do is probably worse than just sinning, to believe that you've ever arrived, that you're still not on your way to what God has promised you. When you sit back and you become you know, I'm a good person. There is no good person, Jesus said. We're all sinners in need of the grace of Christ. Because when you become really good in your own eyes, everybody else becomes really bad. And when that happens, loved ones, that makes a church unsafe. And that makes it really difficult for people to enter into these relational um, relationships of small groups and connection groups. The greatest transformation will not happen in the masses, but in the moments when relationships come and where there's love that challenges and where there's support and we hold one another accountable for growing in Jesus and in relationships. It's interesting that people not in the crosshairs of relationships have less compassion and concern for others. Because people go, well, you know, I'm gonna, I don't want to go to that group. I don't have any of those problems. Oh, hmm, I wonder what that means. Well, you probably got problems that you maybe haven't necessarily identified, but if you're that far along, then you should be helping those people with issues. Not to tell them what to do, but to encourage them and to spur them on to good works and to love and encourage them and say, you can make it. That's probably my greatest gift as a pastor is that I can I exhort people, keep going, get up. That's why this becomes important. You do not grow, loved ones, in the vacuum of yourself or one other person. You need the church. You need small groups. You need relationship. Spiritual growth is also multidimensional. The components of growth 
of the growth process is you grow warmer through fellowship with one another. You grow deeper through discipleship where you grow. And a disciple, remember, is what? It's a learner. It's a follower of Jesus Christ. We go stronger through worship when we live our lives, not just here on Sunday morning for 15 or 20 minutes singing, but when we go out there. And everything that we do is about Jesus because we're worshiping him not just with our words and our song, but with our life. And then we go broader through ministry. That's why you'll often hear me say, the heart of this church can never be its seating capacity, but it's serving in its sending capacity. I'm not here to, you know, when I was younger, I thought, oh, well, let's get a big crowd. That'd be fun. Woo. Well, it's, it's just more work. I want to have a church that is continually serving. That's why I love things like the crab feet. I love some of the, a lot of the things that we do here. We'll be talking about some other things this year because it gets us deeper and broader because we're out in mission and ministry and then we live larger through mission. It's not just about Creekside. It's about our community and about our world. Part of the process, Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus talks about that the goal of all the process is not knowledge accumulation, but personal transformation to be like Jesus. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. He's talking and he says, you know what, I want you to grow. I want you to be like your teacher. It isn't, it isn't just about the knowledge. I know we got that big book and it's good stuff. And I want you to learn because that's why the scripture says grow in the grace and the knowledge. And I think grace is first, because if you don't grow in grace, you'll just become a big head, and you'll become a really difficult spiritual person to be around, because you've always got to be right, and you've got to prove everybody wrong. I have never led anybody to Christ through an argument. I haven't. Of course, that probably speaks to who I am and where I am, but that's neither here. But I don't think you will either. I don't care how bright you are. I don't see... a. And listen, hear me, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying don't study and don't read and don't, you know, don't use your brain, don't mail it off, do all those things, but don't ever think that knowledge will do it. It's knowledge with grace. It takes all five of these purposes to grow. If you go to a gym and you get a trainer, they're going to work on an area that's weak. You got a weak shoulder, they're going to kind of, you know, tweak that. You got abs like me, they're going to say, let's, let's do something with those abs. Or like one of the guys in our church who's a trainer, he said to me a while back, he goes, I think I can help you. I go, you think? Give me some hope, brother. I think I can. Well, here's the deal. Jesus will help you. First John 1, let me just read this for you really quick. This is the disciple that we believe probably had the most personal relationship with Jesus. He's writing. He's an old man now. He's probably in his 90s. And he says this, what was from the beginning that we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and we have touched with our hands concerning Jesus, the word of life, that life was revealed and we've seen it and we testify and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. I love this because he talks to us about really kind of what we're talking about here, these different multidimensional ways of, of learning. For some of us, we're so action-oriented that, that, that the Lord would say to us, be still while I instill in you. 
Because when John talks about these things, he's kind of talking about these different modalities of learning. He's talking about the, the ear gate, you know, that you hear, but not everybody learns well that way. That's why we talk and we want to discuss, and that's why these small groups are, are, are part of that. They help an oral learner. But then he talks about this eye gate, what we have heard, and then what we have seen. We got an ear gate, we got an eye gate. Some don't like to read, some don't like to talk, and some don't like to listen. We call them men. And um, so for some of us guys, this is going to be a great opportunity to stretch some of those learning modalities and dimensions. Most men, that's what we love about men, they're more kinesthetic. And they, don't, you know, they don't want a manual, just give them a machine, a ball, a tool, and let them do their work. That's why it's so cool we see it... Uh, uh, at crab feed, I, wherever there's smoke, I know there's crab feed at the church. You know, it starts wafting down to our house, and I can actually smell it and almost see it from our front yard. And those guys, I was talking to a couple of them last night, and they just love getting together. You know why? Because they're doing something. But I don't want to excuse me, and I want to make sure that we, we, we use all of these modalities and that we're growing in Jesus using all these ways, because spiritual growth is also very seasonal. Genesis 8.22 says this, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest and cold and heat, summer and winter and day and night will not cease. We got some gardeners in our church and every gardener knows that for a plant to grow, the seasons must change. It's true of you and I as well. When God created earth, he set up seasons of weather says it there in Genesis 8.22, and he talks about it in Genesis 2.22 when he was talking through creation. God establishes seasons of life. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, for everything there is a season. And as you begin to read through Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you see all these different seasons that are taking place. Well, what are you, what's, what's the key points about every season? Well, winter, it comes with its cold, and it prepares the way always for springtime. But it can be kind of desolate. It can be dark. We have the winter solstice, the, the longest days of darkness. But for some people, winters, the winter of your soul can be darkness and depressing. But never forget, it's only a reminder that springtime is coming. What is springtime? Spring wants things to grow and to bear fruit. You plant in springtime to get ready for that because when the summer is, you cultivate in the early summer so that you can harvest in the fall and you reap that. Now, here's the deal. You have to think with me. When you have a season in your life, it isn't necessarily the season of the weather. We're right now in the, in the middle of a wet, dank, and damp, and dark winter. But that doesn't mean that's where your soul is. Some of you right now could be in a season of summer. Some of you could be in a season of spring where things are just flourishing, and you're harvesting, and you're, you're picking the fruit of what you planted in another season. That's how it is with our life. Why do we have difficult times and joyous times? Why do we have sorrow and grief? Why do we have both pain and happiness? Because it takes different seasons in our lives, loved ones, for God to mold us and to make us that he wants how he wants us to be. When is the most difficult times that you grow? It's, it's in those dark and difficult winters where you just think everything's cold and everything's dormant and nothing is happening. 
But thank God now we get this spring and we get to see in our spiritual life where it begins to grow and to flourish. This is important because you, you, you may be in one season and your spouse might be in another. Have you ever noticed that? That that can happen and when that happens, that, you know, if, you don't, if you're not able to identify that and understand that, it can make for really difficult times. It helps to understand what season you're in and what season they're in. Maybe you're working with somebody and they're going through a certain season of life and it helps you to understand as you work with them why their attitude is the way it is because the Bible helps us to understand how God works in all of these seasons. And I don't know that you can really identify them unless you're identifying with the Scriptures because that's what helps us uh, pick out things. Remember we talked last week, we'll be talking about again during 40 days, that the, that the Bible becomes a mirror and a reflection of who we are and where we are. Another translation for Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, everything on earth has a special season. Know that the seasons of life are providential and they're also very sovereign by God. He sets them up. He establishes them. Some of them we bring on ourselves, bad decisions or whatever. But here's what I'm learning again in this last season for me. To listen to the Lord, to listen to people around me so that I can get a sense and evaluate, and this is what I'm doing. I'm naming the season. I'm in a fall season right uh, excuse me, an early summer season right now because I'm cultivating and I'm digging out and I'm uprooting some things. And because of that, I know that there's things that can affect me. But I'm making decisions to do this. I'm, I'm, I have a, I'm naming the season I'm in because when you have a sense about it, get this, you, you'll see the cause and effect of life and what's taking place around you. So, so when somebody comes up and they say, hey, I really want to share something with you. I'm concerned about your life. You go, okay, yeah, I'm ready for it. Don't like it, but I'm ready for it. And that cause and effect, it makes it uh, possible for us to make better decisions and to relate to the season. But here's a key. Here's a key that I learned recently. Don't make a permanent decision based on your temporary conditions. Because there are seasons that you be very careful on the decisions that you make. Because the conditions, they just may seem overwhelming and you just want to give up, not keep going. When in storms or a dormant dry season, don't lose hope. Here's a word from the Lord for you. Keep going. Don't give up. Continue to do what's right. Don't believe that God's not there because you don't necessarily feel Him. Galatians 6, 9 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I want to relieve some of you that may carry a, low, low, a sense of, of low-grade guilt. I want you to understand this truth that spiritual growth is seasonal. Nobody grows at a constant up and to the right um, trajectory all the time. We go up. There are plateaus. We just don't want to go down. And don't be afraid of or don't because, you know, it really gets hard sometimes. You come to church and someone's saying, oh, praise God. Oh, boy. Oh, Jesus. You know, and you hear these great testimonies and you're thinking, I don't get nothing. You know, I read the Bible and it's like dust. I pray and, man, my, my prayers hit the ceiling before they get anywhere else. Keep going. Paul said, don't give up. 
A harvest is coming. And that's true for your life. Some of you might be grow, going through winter right now. I just don't feel like you're, you don't feel like you're growing. You're dormant. That's all right. It's part of life. Keep going. It's part of the season you're in. Don't give up. Don't do what a lot of people do, as we talked about last week in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, where you begin to drift. Trust the season. Continue to do what you need to do. You deepen your roots in fall and winter for the next spring stage to bring growth and fruit. Keep going. Focus on Jesus and your faith, not the frustrations that you're experiencing, and just go, okay, I can live with that. Instead of putting all this pressure on yourself. Spiritual growth is incarnational. Philippians 2 says this, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his purposes. Work it out. That isn't a, a sense of fear as much as a sense of reverence, a sense of awe, a little bit of a phobia, but I want to make sure that I'm moving forward. But never forget that it's God that's going to give you the desires, and then he's going to give you the enablement, that we work these things out with a sense of sobriety and thoughtfully, but it always happens, loved ones, hear me, incarnationally, because Christ is at work in us. Galatians 2.20 says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who lived me and gave himself for me. Hear me. Here's the bottom line where we're going. The goal of our church is really twofold, is that we grow in Jesus Christ and we begin to look like him. And it's not you trying to be like Jesus, it's trusting Jesus to live inside you because what's inside you will always get worked out. The secret life, the secret of the Christian life is not imitation, it's incarnation. It isn't that I say, what am I going to do today to begin to live like Jesus? It's that I connect with Jesus in the morning and I don't try and imitate him, I just let him live incarnationally through me because he speaks to me and he's leading, and he's guiding me. None of these eight principles for growth and transformation can happen in your own power. That's why people get so frustrated, because they, they try and white-knuckle it and make it happen. It doesn't happen in our power, but it happens as we release ourselves to God at work in us, and we just simply spend time with him. Sometimes the harder people work at their marriage, the worse it gets. Have you ever noticed that? Because they try so many things that become unnatural. There's no organic life and love taking place. And that's the hard thing for us to understand. Because we want everything instantly and don't realize that it's incremental, that it takes time. And that's what I want you to see through this process. It takes time. But God is at work in you. Don't go halfway. Keep going. I'm always reminded that God's grace is given so that we can turn back to him, not continue in our departure from him, that we don't drift, that we're always tethered through the presence of God's spirit. I am praying that we as men and women will step into intentional daily living, that we would live God-honoring, 
personal building, consistent ways to grow in Jesus and his living word. Would you stand with me? Today feels a little informational, a little lecturing, but as, as we head into this, loved ones, I really do want it to be to grow in the grace of Jesus and the knowledge about him. You can't, it, it's really difficult to have grace in the right way and experience it if you don't know a little bit about the one who gives it. And that's what we want to be all about, is Jesus Christ. Scripture says this. When he's lifted up, all men will be drawn to him. Sometimes we get frustrated because maybe we can't reach people, our family or people around us. Here's where our evangelism, our outreach has to start. We lift Jesus up. How do we lift him up? Well, we grow in him. We walk with him. We share his life where it's um, possible, but most importantly, we are incarnational, that wherever we go, we know Jesus is with us, and that's what we promote.